Dynasty won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files, Barbara. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And because of my silly voice, you probably know that today's show is all about Night, Night of, of the, the Living, Living Dead. Dead. <laughs> Kicking off a uh, Spooktober. Spooktober. Better than Rocktober. Uh, well, I mean, barely it? though. <laughs> but it is better, technically. It's the granddaddy of all zombie movies. Take yourself back to 1968, April 2nd, in a television special broadcast to the United States on NBC. White British singer Petula Clark touches African-American singer Harry Belafonte affectionately on the arm. That's so crazy. Yeah, the funny thing is that now we say that, and it seems like, eh, whatever. But it caused a huge oh, yeah, uproar. I mean, it was, was insane. Was interracial marriage still illegal in, in most states? Yeah. The love. Yeah. The... I think that was in the early 60s. Yeah. God, but yeah, it was it was a huge deal. And there's some great articles about it because Petula Clark was not the person they were expecting to be doing this. <laughs> but uh, but it was it's really interesting. And, and obviously, Harry Belafonte is an amazing person. Oh, yeah. And it's all ridiculous. But hundred uh, percent. But it's just so crazy that. You know, just a little over 50 years, we're still... Still having the same problems. Ugh. Yeah. July 15th, the soap opera One Life to Live premieres on ABC television in the United States. It ran until 2012. Damn. Yeah. That was like a good run. 40-some years. It was, uh, it was crazy. Kept uh, a lot of moms off the ironing <laughs> boards. <laughs> Gotta watch your stories. Gotta watch them stories. September 24th, 60 Minutes debuts on CBS. And is still on the air. Uh, it's a I mean, great it show. It's a, yeah. it's a good news journal. Uh, October 1st, Night of the Living Dead opens at the Fulton Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, eventually Ooh. grossing $12 million domestically nice. and $18 million internationally, earning more than 250 times its budget and making it one of the yeah. most profitable films ever made. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Considering a lot of guys put in like six grand. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting how it was all uh, how it was all put together. Uh, the obviously the idea starts with George A. Romero. Now, uh, just to say, you know, people might be like, "Well, that's 1968. It's not really a Gen X thing." The thing is, this movie was most of our introduction to yeah. zombies. Yeah, you know, yeah, and it started this lifelong love and obsession with zombies that that our generation is perpetrating upon uh, the masses on a daily basis, whether it's video <laughs> games or movies or TV Everything. shows or whatever. Everything's zombies, Everything zombies, zombies. Zombies, yeah. Thank you, George A. Romero. Yes, yes. He, uh, although technically he never called them zombies in the movie. No, they were ghouls. Which uh, I prefer. And he, he actually uh, didn't think, he didn't really didn't consider them zombies at all. It was really interesting. Uh, George A. Romero was raised in the Bronx. He the would Bronx. frequently ride the subway into Manhattan to rent film reels to view at his house. Uh, he was one of only two people who repeatedly rented the opera-based film The Tales of Hoffman. The other was future director Martin Scorsese. Of course it was. But how <laughs> rad that they were renting reels yeah. to yeah. watch in their homes, eh? It's crazy, yeah. They had 16-millimeter projectors? Yeah, no home videos, so they were just renting film reels from... Nerds! <laughs> super nerds! And they both have had fantastic careers. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, nerds are super successful. Uh, so rem- I'm a nerd, but... Well, waiting to be. 
it'll come, it'll come. Romero embarked upon his career in the film industry while attending Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. His initial work involved filming shorts for P- Pittsburgh Public Broadcaster WQED's children's series Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah, he kept coming up with these ideas about ghouls <laughs> coming out of make-believe land and eating the king's face. Yeah. And Fred Rogers was like... Um, I don't think so, George. I really, I really enjoy <laughs> your spirit, and I really enjoy your creativity, but I just don't. I think that might be too graphic for the kids. Yeah, yeah, probably just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he directed and produced television commercials and industrial films for The Latent Image. It was a company in the 60s that he co-founded with friends John Russo and Russell Streiner. Odd name. Uh, I'm just going to say it. Odd name. John Russo? No, latent image. Oh, latent image? Yeah, I don't... It has something to do with photography and... Well, of course, I mean, but it just doesn't flow off of the latent image. Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's, it, did you see the new movie by latent image? Well, I don't know. <laughs> did you hit your T's hard enough? <laughs> got to hit them T's, baby. Uh, so the trio got bored making commercials and wanted to film a horror movie. Uh, they loved the idea of... Of horror movies, the film industry's thirst for the bizarre, according mm. to Romero, and uh, and just the general weirdness of Hollywood. Yeah, go. We're talking sixties and fifties horror movies. A lot of this stuff was gimmicky. You know, they would come with like uh, they'd shock the seats. You know, there was a great yeah, guy yeah. that had these horror movies that had all these gimmicks that would uh, affect the audience and. There were all these weird movies about brains that would come to life or heads yeah. that would attack yeah. you or giant women from the moon. You know, yeah. it wasn't your – there was no Freddy Kruegers. There was no, no, no. Uh, Halloweens. There were no yeah. zombies. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, they, so <clears throat> they contacted uh, Carl Hardman and Marilyn Eastman, president and vice president of a Pittsburgh-based industrial film firm called Hardman Associates. Eastman, any relation to Eastman Kodak? No. You knew that right away. Nice. You knew I was going to ask that question, didn't you? You <laughs> knew it. They pitched their idea for a then-untitled horror film to Hardman and Eastman. And uh, Hardman and Eastman were like, yeah, this sounds great. Let's do this. Uh, they formed a, a new production company called Image 10, a little better than latent image. A little bit, but why 10? <laughs> I don't know. Image 1, um, baby. It, was, uh, it included uh, Romero, Russo, Streiner, Hardman, and Eastman. So the five of them, they each put in $600 and found five other guys to invest $600. So they had an initial budget of $6,000 to make this horror movie. Now, granted, it's 1968. Yeah, I mean, but still. Yeah. Uh, they then realized they... bucks is a lot of money, man. You can buy a car. You put yeah, a oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Down payment on a house, probably? Uh, yeah, it, uh... It, yes. And, uh, they had to, They realized they didn't have enough money, so they found another 10 investors that each invested $600. So they had $12,000. Starting to sound a little bit like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> a little uh, bit, you a little bit. $600. You get two friends, you get $600, and then you get $300 from that $600. Right. Uh, eventually, they raised one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars for the budget, which out is, of six hundred dollar donations. I mean, uh, of, of, of investments. No, I believe that they did have some larger investments. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, good yeah. lord, <laughs> it was like six hundred people <laughs> investing money. <laughs> uh, they eventually raised one hundred forty thousand, which is about eight hundred and forty eight thousand dollars. Still nothing today. Yeah, yeah, for making a, a feature, it's that's pretty pretty slim. Uh, it was originally co-written as a horror comedy by George, John Russo <laughs> and George A. Romero under the title Monster Flick. 
Ooh. Yeah. Uh, an early screenplay draft concerned the exploits of adolescent aliens who visit Earth and befriend human teenagers. Like, wow, man, this yeah. is one crazy <laughs> planet I'm digging. Let's find some teenagers and go to uh, the Psychops. Ooh, well, I'm from space. They knew their audience. They knew that teenagers were going to be the ones <laughs> funneling money Zoinks. into this. <laughs> a second version of the script featured a young man who runs away from home and discovers rotting human corpses that aliens use for food scattered across a meadow. Ugh. Uh, they really He was really obsessed with using Where do you go with that? Corpses. I don't you know. You know, it's like kid finds the corpses, then does he hunt down the aliens or what? I mean, like. I assume. I, I, the script, that, that, that version of the script did not go anywhere. <laughs> Half-baked ideas. Uh, Russo came up with the concept that they would be the recently dead only because they could not afford to bring long dead people out of their graves. <laughs> Budget. Uh, which is going to be an ongoing thing here in, in the production of this movie. I have said it before. I will say it again. Sometimes a low budget really brings out the creativity. Because yeah. you got to. 100%. got to. you got yes. to figure yes. out ways to solve problems without money. John Russo also came up with the idea that they would be flesh eaters, these weird newly dead people. Uh, the final draft, written mainly by Russo during three days in 1967, focused on reanimated human corpses, which Romero, Romero referred to them as ghouls, ghouls, that consume the flesh of the living. Chomp, chomp, chomp. So the script developed into a three-part short story that Romero wrote, uh, and part one became Night of the Living Dead, part two and part three were eventually adapted into Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Uh, trilogy. So they actually, he actually had the idea for all three movies wow. way back in like 1967. That's awesome. So, yeah, the fact that it was like, let's just make this first one and see what happens. He's the then... George Lucas of zombie <laughs> ghoul movies. <laughs> ghoul movies, yes. Uh, Romero drew inspiration from Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. Ooh, a you horror... always got to bring your boyfriend Richard Matheson I, into well, the conversation. It's because he's always <laughs> involved. Anybody? Yeah, I mean, honestly, though, anybody who's a sci-fi whatever, it's always Richard Matheson because he wrote so many yeah. iconic stories. He, he was very prolific. Uh, much like Stephen King, he just wrote a lot all the time. Uh, plus, he worked in TV and and. He was the burgeoning kind of yes, yes. He was great. Genre match, he was a wonderful, of, well-rounded right, genius. Well, I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it till you believe it. <laughs> it sounds like I'm being snide, but I'm actually being honest. Uh, I Am Legend is my favorite novel of all time. Wow, hundred uh, percent favorite novel. Uh, it's about a plague that ravages a futuristic Los Angeles. Uh, the infected become uh, wait a minute vampire like. <laughs> I know, I know. They became vampire like creatures that prey on the uninfected. Uh, if they were emotional vampires, then that would be the absolute truth that it came came to fruition. <laughs> well, give it time. Give it time. Uh, it's funny because they interviewed uh, Romero quite a bit during this uh, time, and he, he said that I Am Legend was uh, a inspiration for him. And Richard Matheson was like, really? Really? <laughs> he was not pleased with the comparison between his book and Night of the Living Dead. Eh. But he did like George Romero. He met him a few times, and he did like him. So. Well, he's still a, kind of a dick. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was kind of like, man, dude, really? Like, just be happy that there's this new exactly. thing. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, <laughs> Look, man, there's been how many zombie movies? Like millions? Uh, yeah, hundreds And how thousands. many remakes of I Am Legend? Three? Well, four, technically. Really? But, uh, well, there was one called I Am Omega. Oh, that is that the one with the, uh, Vincent Price? Oh, no, that was The Last Man on Earth. Yes. That was the original adaptation, and then they did... Um, Omega Man. Omega Man, which was the 70s Charlton Heston oh, version, which I'll is an amazing movie. Oh, so great. 
And and then they did uh, the Will Smith I Am Legend, uh, which is the most uh, accurate adaptation yeah. of I Am Legend, except that it's set in New York and not in L.A. Mm. Um, but it captures the, the vampires more properly. But right around that time, The Asylum did a movie called I Am Omega, uh, oh. which was essentially a remake of The Omega Man. Hmm. Uh, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. It was not an official uh, adaptation. Um, at one point, they were actually talking about trying to get um, – uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. to do it in the 80s. No, and, they had uh, that was they had a script and everything. Yeah, they did. That was uh, what's his uh, Silver. S- uh, yes, I yeah. saw that script. I read that. Script. I read that script too because uh, my friends were working for Donner. And oh yeah, Donner yeah. and Silver did all their stuff together. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean that thing got really far. Uh, it did. It was really close to being made, and I'm really glad it didn't because it was. Yeah essentially a completely different story. It's like if the 80s puked at that story yeah. or the 90s puked at that story. Uh it was bad. Yeah. It was bad. It was uh, yeah. But I but I really liked the 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 Will Smith I am legend. I thought it was it, was, it did a really good job. Yeah, it was I don't know. I I still love the Omega Man. Yeah. And and actually to be honest, The Last Man on Earth is a great movie too with Vincent Price. Yes. It's a great movie. Uh so <clears throat> because he did this short story, there wasn't really a script for Night of the Living Dead. Like they kinda had an out- outline and some dialogue and stuff, but a lot of the dialogue was improvised. Tony half baked. Uh <laughs> Very true. Uh, like, for example, Barbara's story about her brother while Ben's breaking down the table was completely ad-libbed. Barbara. Yeah, where she's just freaking out and explaining, you know, how her brother died and, and all that. And in fact, because of the budget, they shot it once, thought they lost audio on it, and then moved on anyway. <laughs> there you go, man. You only have a few bucks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is like, it's not digital, man. You had to, You had to shoot... The film, yeah. you had to record the sound separately, and then you have to get the mag stock made, and you have to get the prints made, and you have to get all this shit made, and it costs a ton of money. It was a process. Yes. You don't just yeah. load your memory card into your MacBook Pro <laughs> yeah. and start zippity-zappity, baby. It's yeah. A- if you don't get it, it's it could be days and days of oh, yeah. reshoots. And you like won't was, know. Yeah. You don't... I'm telling you, man, the anxiety that you feel... Waiting for your film to be developed to watch yeah, your yeah. dailies. It, it, like in college, man, we'd just be like, man, I hope we got it. Yeah, yeah. I, hope, I think yeah. there was a hair in the gate. Yeah. You know, I don't know. And then, you know, it's like, ah, oh, so nerve-wracking. Yeah, it was, It was. Uh, nobody shoots on film anymore. Uh, very, oh, I shouldn't say that. Very, Features yeah, very Some rarely. directors do. Uh, I think, uh, Christopher, I think Christopher Nolan shoots on film. Yeah, uh, yes, because I know he, the last few he's been shooting on the IMAX, the big 70 millimeter, like, whatever. And uh, Tarantino shoots on film. Does he? Yeah, I think so. I didn't, I didn't know if he had moved to – no, I think you're right. I don't think he had moved to – yeah. I actually, the when I worked on One Tree Hill, we were one of the last TV shows to shoot on Super 16. Yeah. It was awful. I had to deal with dailies every morning, and uh, it was just, awful. Why hold out, man? Just yeah. You know, that was the thing. I remember just <sighs> – people losing their minds when everything went digital like yeah, every single yeah. processing house and you oh, know, yeah, negative yeah. cutter and all these guys are just like man we're, uh, we're, you're we're, screwed yeah well it sucks man i mean you know blacksmiths lost their jobs once yeah. cars came around it's just yeah. is horrible you know you got to think about the future sometimes yeah yeah sometimes sacrifices have to be made uh the actors edited a lot of the dialogue they were given uh according to uh judith o'day who played barbara she, she they essentially would read the dialogue and then tell the dialogue the way they thought it should be mm. like get the feel of it right uh because i don't know if the dialogue was just bad but or... it gave it more of that cinema verite feel yeah. too because yeah. it was a lot more 
real. Like right. everything was right. in your face and and kind of sloppy, but that that really added to the flavor and the texture and the feel of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and and, and even to the point of shooting it on black and white, they they couldn't shoot in color because they didn't have the money right. for it. And the black and white added this extra, like, oh my god, this well, seems gore so real. looks so much grosser in black yeah. and white for some reason you get that Your chocolate chocolate Moscow syrup sauce <laughs> and it's just so much more visceral for some reason it's just so gross it is pretty gross uh so the cast let's talk about the cast before we get into production uh should we take a break um yeah let's take a quick break and then nice. we'll uh we'll jump back into casting Casting. All right. Uh, Dwayne Jones was cast as Ben, the lead. Uh, he was an unknown stage actor. He was a former per- university professor in real life. Uh, he was actually, uh, he cons- was considered to be a proper gentleman, mm. uh, which I don't know. Carried a cane and had a monocle. That's <laughs> what a proper gentleman did. Uh, his casting was potentially controversial, much like Petula Clark touching Harry Belafonte because he was black. Right. Uh, it was rare for a black man to be cast as the hero of an American film, primarily composed of white actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Romero said that Jones just was, he did the best audition. That's what I love. It wasn't even any sort of like statement no. or he wasn't trying to, you know, it was just like, I did the best. He's, he got the part. I want the best person for the job. Yeah. He's it. Uh, ben was originally supposed to be a low-class truck driver, but Dwayne Jones refused to play the part Good. that way. Yeah, because he was a college-educated man. He was He's a like, smart Look, man. Guy. I'm the star of this movie. We're yeah. gonna make the character a little more interesting than just a. Well, no offense to truck drivers, man. It's a hard-ass job. They actually wrote. He wrote the part as uh, for in the intention of it being the a low a class guy. is the yeah. bad part. Truck driver, fine. Low class. But the the interesting thing is that he he wrote it originally for a, a white guy, and, right? And when they cast Dwayne Jones, they didn't change any of the dialogue. They just said, "Okay, here it is. Let's do it." Um, so I, I, the low class part is is disappointing, but but Dwayne Jones came in, and that's the part of. But of, that was the part for anybody. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't like written for an African American actor. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, Calm down, people. Yeah, and it's and it's and the fact is is that you know filmmaking is a collaboration. By people, and... I mean me. I was the one that was outraged, <laughs> and then I calmed down. Uh, he went on to appear in other films after Night of the Living Dead and continued working as a theater actor and, and a director until his death in 1988. Nice. Uh, I mean, not that he died in 88, but no. nice that he But he, he, had, he a had a big career. career. He was deathly afraid after that movie that he was always going to be recognized as Ben, uh, which he was, but he had a good career. He did, he did well. Judith O'Day was cast as Barbara. She was a 23... They're to get you, Barbara. ...23-year-old uh, commercial and stage actress, uh, Judith O'Day, previously worked for Hardman and Eastman in Pittsburgh. So she had the in with them. Mm. Yeah. Uh, she was in Hollywood seeking entry to the movie business when she auditioned. She remarked in an interview that starring in the film was a positive experience for her, although she admitted horror movies terrified her. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not scary yeah. on set. No, you know, everybody's no. still eating donuts and like, drinking why, coffee. Why is everybody covered in chocolate syrup? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I can, yeah. <laughs> uh, in addition to acting, she performed her own stunts, which she Sweet. jokingly claimed amounted to, quote, lots of running. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was great in the movie. I, there were stairs. I, that's true. She did go up and down the stairs a couple times. Uh, Carl Hardman was Harry Cooper. He Carl was, Hardman uh, as Cooper. He was one of the producers. They actually, and I didn't realize until we started this research that he was one of the producers. Yeah, well, I, what a great name, too. And that's how it is, man. It's You're making something real low. Yeah. You, you just, it's kind of catch as catch can. 
Well, yeah, why don't you, yeah. you get in there and be in the We need an extra guy. You'd be, oh, yeah, in, you'd, yeah. you'd be in the movie. That was uh, one of the other things that um, Carl Hardman was uh, – he took a lot of pictures um, during the uh, – no, sorry. It was Russell Streiner. took a lot of pictures and took over 1,200 pictures. And he said very specifically that the entire cast was involved in the, the process of mm-hmm. developing the film. Oh, wow. They just formed a fire truck line and then our you know, fire brigade line and just did – like everybody was involved. Everybody was making sure that everything got done. Well, it got super high too, man. Time. You know, them chemicals. <laughs> uh, that's the best part about – Developing your own film. Uh, Same sniffs. Carl Hardman was also provided the voice of the newscaster heard on the radio in Johnny's car. The Johnny's the car. Yeah. Johnny. Oh, we'll get to Johnny. He's, he's, uh, he's, uh... Oh, no, Johnny was Russell Strainer. Sorry. Who am I thinking of? I don't know. Oh, it was Keith Wayne. It's Tom. Sorry. Okay, so <clears throat> Marilyn Eastman played Helen Cooper, the other producer uh, of the Hardman and Eastman uh producing team nice uh she also played at a female ghoul eating an insect that did she really eat an insect her. she did yeah i guess yeah. gotta put your money where your mouth is yeah yeah producer's gonna eat that bug i mean gotta God set the it, example it paid off that's yeah, <laughs> gross movie made a lot of money uh keith wayne is tom now this is uh, his full name was keith wayne hartman yeah uh, it was his only film appearance following the completion of the film he worked as a singer for a number of years with the bill roberts show uh, Keith Wayne and the United Brass Works and others, and in the Wait, early was that the sorry the, the United Brass Works and others is the name of the band? No, <laughs> other bands. Oh, okay, in, sorry. okay, sorry. Oh, that would be great. Though. United and others, Brass Works and others. <laughs> in the early eighties, he became a chiropractor, nice. and for a long time, he wrote a column uh, called the Chiropractic Corner in Hard Gainer Magazine. Uh, under Hard Gainer Dr. Magazine? R. Keith Hartman. Yeah, it's like a bodybuilding magazine. Hard Gainer. Uh, it still exists today, actually. <laughs> uh, his last paper uh, or column was a work called How to Find Chiropractic Help, Bursitis and Tendinitis, Sternum Noises, Knee and Neck Care, Plus the Notice of the Death of Dr. Hartman, and then he killed himself. Jesus. It's because he, that the name of that article was 18 <laughs> years long. Yeah. It's just... Uh, it's really sad and disappointing. I mean, he had a great career and he had a good, but it's just weird that he. Well, I'm. Yeah. He was probably suffering from depression or something. Yeah, it's something bad. Yeah. Read the article, be like, damn it, I've ruined my career. It's just one of those things of like, man, yeah. he literally sent that article to his people and then killed himself. And suicide like, isn't. Uh, is, uh, suicide is so unsatisfying. It's just, yeah. you never. I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying about suicide. Suicide sucks, man. It just we, leaves a lot yeah. of people with questions, and it is the most personal decision you can make. Sure, and literally no one else will ever understand why. No, and it's yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Uh, Judith Rid- Ridley played Judy. Uh, Ridley later played the lead, lead in Romero's second. Was the feature. name Judy before she was cast? <laughs> I I doubt it. Uh, she she was also the lead in Romero's second feature. There's always Vanilla, which came out in 1971. There is always vanilla. There is always vanilla. Uh, Kyra Schoen is Karen Cooper, the little girl. Uh, she was actually Carl Hardman's daughter, and she played the mangled corpse in the house in the upstairs that Ben drags away. I thought, nice. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, George Kusana is Sheriff McClelland. Uh, Kusana was also served as a served. Yeah. Kusana also served as the film's production manager. Yet again. You see, when you put these people in the movie, you don't gotta pay them. Yeah, so you got true. a bunch of free actors in a movie that you don't got to give the gibbity gob. That's how you keep you keep the budget down. You got to keep your bottom line down, Adam. Yeah, when you're yeah. making an indie feature, you got to got to stay. I don't within know that why budge. the indie feature guy speaks like that like kind that. of cartoon. But. <laughs> 
Uh, Russell Striner is Johnny. That was the brother. He was also the producer. Took a lot of pictures. Uh, Striner later served as a producer of the 1990 remake of the film, in which he also had a cameo appearance as Sheriff McClelland. Easter eggs. Easter eggs, yeah. And my perhaps favorite, Bill Chili Billy Cardeal. Bill Chili Billy Cardeal. Welcome to WIIC-TV. I'm Bill Chili Billy Cardeal, and I'm here at the Fair Live with Monkey Madness. <laughs> he was well known in Pittsburgh as a TV presenter who hosted a horror film anthology series called Chiller Theater. Those were the best. Yeah. Every single market had some creepy dude or creepy yeah. lady dressed up as like a vampire or a Frankenstein or a something presenting. Chili Billy? Or is it Chili? Is Chili Billy presenting. Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. No, but it was always some weirdo presenting creepy moves. But it was great. Love them creature features. Oh, yeah, like yeah. Chili I mean, killers. it was, but it was definitely, yes, there was everywhere, everywhere had that late yeah. night. Because the movies well, you afternoons could get too, man. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, let's move on to the production. Uh, the small budget, as said, dictated a whole lot of the production process. Oh, sure. Uh, according to Hardman, he said, and I quote, we knew that we could not raise enough money to shoot a film on par of the classic horror films, which we had all grown up. The best that we could do was to place our cast in a remote spot and then bring the horror to be visited on them in that spot. Smart. So the whole idea was they just found a house and and then made the house the, the place, and that was it. Yeah, they probably slept in that house and ate oh, in that I house. imagine, yes. Everybody, I mean, if you've ever worked on a low-budget movie, you know how it goes, man. It's just oh, yeah. a lot of sandwiches. <laughs> a lot of cheap turkey sandwiches with a mustard. Of, a lot of white bread. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of peanuts. A lot of water. And not, not, not a whole a lot, lot of else. else. Not oh. a lot of sleep because you got to shoot, shoot, shoot. Nope. I mean, I remember you making spaghetti for everybody because you don't have enough money. Oh, you know, yeah. So you get yeah. a couple of pounds of spaghetti and sauce for like five bucks. and you just oh, That's true. And give you everybody their... And then they fall asleep because of all the carbs, but... <laughs> He got away with a cheap meal. They've eaten, and that's all that matters. The house they shot in was 30 miles north of Pittsburgh. Uh, It does not exist anymore, unfortunately. It has become a turf farm, uh, which is... What? Turf farm. So... Is that like where toughs go to be like... No, turf, turf. Yeah, I know. Like, this is my turf. This is where the toughs get their turf. (laughs) Where they 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 rumble over Uh, the turf. No, you you know how you can, like, buy grass that rolls out? It's got to be grown somewhere. Oh. Apparently now it's grown in the house where I Living Dead was shot. Well, interesting. <laughs> uh, the props and the special effects were fairly simple. The blood, for example, was Bosco chocolate syrup dribbled mm. over cast members' bodies. Uh, the consumed flesh consisted of roasted ham and entrails donated by one of the, the actors who also owned a chain of butcher shops. I see. That, that's why that actor was cast, because the producer said, we're going to need guts. <laughs> This guy's not that great, but we're going to... It reminds me of Zombie Joe. Yeah, uh, A yeah. producer that we used to work with at this theater, uh, and he, you know, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> the guy could have never acted in his life, but if he could bring 10 people <laughs> to the theater, he could be the star of the show. I can just imagine Hardman and Eastman sitting down together. So I got this guy. He's not very good, <laughs> but he owns a butcher shop. Hey, he's in. <laughs> Whatever part he wants, he's in. And by the way, it's so funny... Uh, that brown, you have to, you, if you use blood or red or ketchup uh, with yeah. black and white film, it, it doesn't look no, like blood. It it's just too looks bright. clear yeah. almost. Yeah. It just, so you have to use chocolate, and the chocolate is just so visceral. Ugh. 
Yeah, that's uh, whenever I make my own fake blood, uh, you got to add in blue because people don't realize that blood is so much darker yeah. than you think. Uh, costumes make consisted. Your own blood I do. I for make your my personal own. use. I have shared that, <laughs> and I, I, yeah, uh, I have shared that recipe. Uh, I originally got it from uh, my friend, on your TikTok, my old co-producer Amanda Marquart, mm. uh, and I, I have shared that recipe with so many people. Uh, actually, just yesterday, a, a guy in Illinois hit me up and asked me for nice. the recipe. Hey, look, you guys need a recipe for blood? You get a hold of Adam. Super easy. He's your man. Sticky as hell. He's <laughs> your blood guy. I got a blood guy. I got a blood guy. I, yeah, it's me. Yeah, it's Adam. <laughs> the costumes consisted of secondhand clothing from cast members and Goodwill. Uh, it's really interesting because reading through this and how they did this, literally nothing's changed. It also just seems like every crappy black box theater yeah. production I've ever done. <laughs> People bringing their own clothes yeah. or going to Goodwill, making your own blood, you know. You always have that question, so can, yes. I, can I destroy this? Is it's, that okay? Yes, exactly. It's got that whole... <laughs> those old Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland movies where they come on, let's put let's on, a show, on a show. Or, or, the, or the little rascals would always put oh, on a yeah. show to make yeah. money. You too can put on a show. Uh, the zombie makeup varied during the film. Initially, the makeup was limited to white skin with blackened eyes. Yeah, everybody looked like they pulled an all-nighter. Yeah. And they just did an exam for college. By the end of the movie, they didn't have to use makeup. (laughs) (laughs) So exhausted. Yeah, they look like hell. As the filming progressed, mortician's wax was used to simulate wounds and decaying flesh. Uh, The funny thing is that because they shot it out of order, you can see the kind of pasty face. Oh, yeah. um, Well, the ending, man, when the the zombies crash into the the house, house, it really does look like a bunch of tired people looking for coffee. Everybody's yeah. like, where's, where's the coffee? <laughs> the slow stumble. Oh, where's the uh, coffee? Uh, I need uh, to get to my shift at the mill. And I my, need the coffee. My absolute favorite <laughs> zombie in the entire movie. During the end, when they break in, some lady has grabbed, like, the leg of a table, and she's literally just walking around, <laughs> yes, pushing it up and down. Yes. <laughs> there was like, really? not a lot of directions. Like, you really pay attention to the ghouls. Let's be ghouls. The ghouls, sorry. Let's be the ghouls. Uh, accurate, yeah. Adam. Sorry. <laughs> Let's be accurate. <laughs> um, <laughs> the ghouls just did not get a lot of direction. He's just no. like, wander around, you brain-dead yeah. ghouls. Yeah, it was, uh yeah. They, it was just funny because they and they I mean, even to the point of uh, the daughter, like eventually she uses a hammer yeah. to kill her mother yeah. rather than eat her. And it's like it was the early days yes. of the ghouls and the zombies. And yes, this was the baby. This was the first. I mean, not the there were ghoul movies and zombie movies. There was something there was in zombie my, movies yes. before yes. there was the white zombie was a movie that was done. But it was about about. Um, uh, it was about voodoo. Voodoo, thank yeah. you. It was about voodoo, and and even because zombie comes from voodoo of people mm-hmm. raising the dead to be be a servant to the voodoo right. queen priestess right. or yeah, you know the, priest. Yeah, it was. And, and Romero knew this. I mean, he went into it, and that's part of the reason he called them ghouls because he thought that they differed enough from the way that zombies had been portrayed that he called them something else. Well, there wasn't a voodoo priest or priestess raising them from the dead. Now was it? It no, wasn't it like it was some a comet. alien comet. It was thing? a comet. Mm. We passed through the tail of a comet, and it and it uh, yeah, which is not. It's kind of. It's one of the things I love about this movie. It's kind of explained, but yeah. not really. Well, most of you, Walking Dead, they never really explain yeah. why everybody's. Yeah. You know, I, they I never watched the last like six seasons, so I have no idea if they've explained. Maybe it. they have. I've missed a few okay. seasons. 
I need to catch I up. I feel bad. A really good friend of mine is a producer on that nice. show. <laughs> I feel bad. I just, just admitted that you hate his show. No, or her I, show. I don't know. His show. But it, was, it wasn't. Eventually, I'll watch all of it. So filming took place between July of 1967 and January of 1968. So, man, they shot that for like six months. That was a long time. And this was time. like Pittsburgh, north of Pittsburgh. Right? Yeah, yeah, in that house. Yeah. So that July was probably pretty humid. It would get humid. cold. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. During the summer, it would be warm, and then it would get cold. I mean, mm. Pittsburgh's pretty far north. Yeah. I mean, it's it would be... I imagine it would be chilly. I've never actually been to Pittsburgh, so I, I don't know. Pennsylvania, it snows. Uh, that's true. Uh, it was filmed under the working title Night of Anubis, and then later Night of the Flesh Eaters. Uh, Anubis. And so it would have been probably something to have to do with ancient Egypt. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. Maybe the comet was the called god Anubis. Of death or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the Egyptian god of death. I. The only reason I bring up the titles is because eventually the many title changes they went through before the film was released came back and and kind of bit them in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> so when did this baby come out? This uh, came out in uh, October of 1968. They spent uh, almost six months doing post-production on it. When you're making an independent movie, the post-production is what takes so long because yeah. it's expensive. Yeah. It's time-consuming, especially when it, you're dealing with film. Yeah. You know, yeah. and luckily there's not a lot of color correction because it's black and white, but you still have to yeah, there's still know, stuff process to it the way yeah. it needs to be processed. you got to get the mag stock made. you got to sync it up. you got to choppity-chop, put your white glove on, get on the steam back. And a uh, little inside baseball, post-production is always going to cost twice as much as you think it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does not matter. Uh, I believe they actually had to raise more money because of the post-production process. Yeah. Uh, it gets expensive. Um, especially back in the day. I mean, it would just get You have expensive. to make prints, man. You have to make a print of the film. That costs yeah. a ton of money. Even back then, making one print would cost thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. It was expensive. It was just expensive. Uh, upon completion of post-production, Image 10, the production company, found it difficult to secure a distributor willing to show the film yeah. with all of the gruesome scenes intact. Psh, cowards. <laughs> Almost all of them, including Colombian and American International Pictures, declined because uh, they requested that Romero soften the movie, and the, all the producers were like, no, we're yeah. not. This is our movie. And it was especially the ending that they wanted to change. Yes. Now, yes. spoiler alert, this is a 54-year-old movie. Yeah. So you've had plenty of time to watch it. Yes. But in the ending, the it's the next day, and our hero has survived. And is he the only one that survives? Yes, I believe Up to that so. Point. Yeah. yeah, and he's in the house, and there's a bunch of guys walking around shooting zombies, and they see him and shoot him right in the head, and done. And he's dead, and it's so bleak, but it's such a perfect ending for this movie. It yeah. could not have yeah. ended any other way. It would have been ruined. Yeah, yeah, and and that comes to Romero. Uh, wanting to make a statement. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he all of his movies talk about, you know, uh, social aspects and, and commenting on things like, like Dawn of the Dead, you know. And, and well, it's just basically, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an excuse for the breakdown of society and to see how yeah. people react when society breaks down. Right. That microcosm of that farmhouse is America. Yeah. You yeah. know, you got your religiosos, you got your non-religiosos, you got your families, you got your singles, you got your yeah. blacks, you got your whites, you got your women's, you got your men's. So you got a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of groups there. Yes. <laughs> but you have a good representation of, you know, middle America. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it is really just how, how much everything breaks down. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, the really – it's interesting because I, I was drawn more towards this movie when the pandemic started. Because oh, yeah. it was like, man, I don't want this to happen this way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, we're probably never going to have to deal with zombies. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe ghouls. Maybe ghouls. Maybe some ghouls. (laughs) But we are going to deal with society breaking down. Yeah, in different aspects. You know, in different. Hopefully, not a complete, yeah, and total breakdown of society. Hopefully, we can in our lifetime because it will happen. We're going to run out of water. We're going to run out of space to grow food. We're going to have too many people. Yeah, we're going to have perpetual pandemics. You yeah. know, there's yeah. the, the the global warming is going to keep causing problems and diminish our food and water supply and make things hotter and more of the planet uninhabitable. So we're going to have this. So start watching these damn movies to prepare yourself on how to act because <laughs> we need to be civilized. Uh, in regards to the ending, Romero admitted that, quote, none of us wanted to change it. Uh, we couldn't imagine a happy ending. Everyone wanted a Hollywood ending, but we stuck to our guns. Good. Because they had to. I mean. They- yeah. Yeah. They did this whole movie without any big Hollywood names, without any... They did this on their own. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they made the movie they wanted to make. Yes, exactly. And why compromise at the very end, especially when nobody really wants it anyway? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Uh, the Manhattan-based Walter Reed organization agreed to show the film uncensored, uh, but they changed the title from Night of the Flesh Eaters to Night of the Living Dead. Uh, well, Night of the Flesh Eaters, you know what you're getting into. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, gonna be some flesh eating. The interesting thing about changing the title uh, and the fact that Romero did not come up with Night of the Living Dead, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. Um, did he come up with Night of the Flesh Eaters? Yes, that was him and Russo together. Uh, while they changed the title, <clears throat> they accidentally deleted the copyright notice because uh, yeah. it was on the title. So And they crazy. never added it back. And surprise, surprise... The movie is now in the public domain. Yeah. You could do whatever the hell you want with that movie, people. Which do I, almost everyone want. has. <laughs> yeah. We, I've seen a stage production. You did work on I, a stage production. I did, right before the pandemic. We, uh, we did a stage production of it. Yeah. You could remake it. You could show it anywhere you want to show it. You could put it on your website. You could do whatever the hell yeah. you want. To the point of um, there are... According, as of 2019, Amazon.com lists this many number of Night of Living Dead uh, releases. 13 on VHS, 130 on DVD, 12 on Blu-ray, 1 on Blu-ray 3D, and 56 on Amazon Video. Wow. No uh, 4K Blu-ray? No. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) That's what we're going to do. Hey, we're doing it. Nobody else do 4K Blu-ray because Gen X Files is going to release it. We'd have to find an original print of the movie. I've got three. Oh, I do. Go down and rent the film reel. Yes. (laughs) Uh, The film is also the the original film is available to view or download for free on various websites, such as the Internet Archive. And as of August 2021, it is the Internet Archive's second most downloaded film with over 3.3 million downloads. Nationally, it was shown as a Saturday afternoon matinee, which was typical for horror movies at the time, Mm -hmm. and attracted an audience consisting of preteens and adolescents. This is pre-MPAA. There it, was not. It literally came out the month before yes. the MPA started mandating it that everything snuck in. be. Yeah, yeah. Right under the radar uh, to it, traumatize a whole generation so of babies. You literally could be seven years old and buy a ticket to see this movie, mm-hmm. which they did. <laughs> They're coming to get you, Barbara. Uh, 
Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times chided theater owners and parents who allowed children access to the film with such potent content for a horror film that they were entirely unprepared for. He said, and I quote, I don't think the younger kids really knew what hit them. They were used to going to movies, sure, and they'd seen some horror movies before, sure, but this was something else. According to Ebert, the film affected the audience immediately. The kids in the audience were stunned. There was almost complete silence. The movie had stopped being delightfully scary about halfway through and become unexpectedly terrifying. There was a little girl across the aisle from me, maybe nine years old, who was sitting very still in her seat and crying. <laughs> it's hard to remember what sort of effect this movie might have had on you when you were six or seven, but try to remember, at that age, kids take the events on the screen seriously, and they identify fiercely with the hero. When the hero is killed, that's not an unhappy ending, but a tragic one. Nobody got out alive. It's just over. That's all. You're Roger. And I quote. Your Roger Ebert is spot on. <laughs> it is, really. Uh, the response from Variety after the initial release reflects the outrage generated, generated by Romero's film. Until the Supreme Court establishes clear-cut guidelines for the pornography of violence, Night of the Living Dead will serve nicely as the outer limit definition by example. In A, mere 90 minutes, this horror film, pun intended, casts serious aspirations on the integrity and social responsibility of its Pittsburgh-baked makers, distributor Walter Reed, the film industry as a whole, and exhibitors who book the picture, as well as raising doubts about the future of the regional cinema movement and about the moral health of filmgoers who cheerfully opt for this unrelieved orgy of sadism. I really like pornography of violence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and cheerfully opt for this I... unrelieved orgy of sadism. It's really funny now because you show this to a ten-year-old and they're not going to oh, think it's, it's scary. But let me tell you, bud. Let me uh, tell you. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I... You remember when you first oh, saw yeah. this? Oh, yeah. I first saw this. This is one of my favorite memories with my sister, Tracy. She was older than me. And so I was just a, a little pain in her butt, tattletale, little jerk. And she, she had her own cool life, and she was super cool. And I always wanted her to... You know, I always wanted to hang out with my big sis because she was so cool. And one Halloween, I was like... Hey, sis, there's this movie marathon on, and I thought maybe you and I could, you know, make some popcorn and, you know, have some sodies and, and watch the movie marathon. And to my surprise, she was like, all right, kid, I'll watch a damn marathon with you. So <laughs> we hung out and stayed up all night watching this crazy, you know, bunch of scary movies. And then Night of the Living Dead comes on, man. And the eating of the people freaked me out. It was so gross. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at it, like you said, yeah, it's super quaint now. Yeah. But I had never seen anything like it. I had never seen people no, eating no. people. And, uh, <laughs> and and again, that ending, too, was just so jarring. And, you know, it's like... Because it literally, he gets shot, goes down, yeah, and then it's done. Exactly. And you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And both my sister and I were freaked by it. And I think it was the first time she might have seen it, too. So it was... I just always remember that's one of my favorite Halloweens. With because I got to spend it with my cool, cool sister, and I just I'll never forget that just that feeling, that uncomfortable kind of queasy, uneasy feeling I got watching that movie. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely frightening. I mean, if you watch it too young, but I mean that's I think that's true that's for anything, all yeah. horror movies. I mean, but you like, could watch The Lion King too young and it could damage you. Yeah, 
I mean, uh, the the witch from the Wizard of Oz freaked me out when I was little. Yeah, well, you're not the only one. Yeah, she's freaky. She is. Her. It was her on the bike turning into the witch. That yeah. just nightmares for days. <laughs> I don't know why. It Flying was monkeys just... freak me out. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, monkeys shouldn't fly. I think it's pretty. <laughs> Uh, so Night of the Living Dead is the first of six of the dead films directed by George Romero himself. Adam did air quotes. Yeah, they call them of the dead films, which I don't, they're just Romero zombo movies. Sure. Zombie movies. Zombo movies. Zombo I wish movies. they would have called them zombos. Oh, that would have been great. Zombos are coming. The zombos are coming. I can't <laughs> take it. zombo se- apocalypse. I can't take it seriously. Zombos. I'm calling uh, them zombos from now on. The other five of the dead films were Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead. And then Dead of the Dead. Yeah, before he, George Romero, passed. Uh, oh, I know. It wasn't that yeah. long ago, either. No, no, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, and, you know, Dawn of the Dead is a classic. Day of the Dead's okay. Day of the Dead's in the mall, right? No, Dawn of the Dead's the mall one. Dawn of the Dead's in the mall, right? Yes. Yeah, that one's fun. And the remake of that, uh, written by, I believe, James Gunn. Yes, directed by Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, the well, Zack Snyder does a good job when he doesn't write his stuff. He peaked early. <laughs> yeah, because that is his best movie, 100%. And yeah. that is one of my favorite zombie movies. And it totally captures the feel of the Romero zombie yes. movies. Yes, 100%. Uh, the original Dawn of the Dead's fantastic. Uh, Day of the Dead's okay. It's, yeah. They get they're, they're down on the ground a lot. Less interesting. Yeah. And then the the Land of the Dead, Dire of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead, it just got to the point where he was using a lot of CG. Yeah. And, like, eh, and it just and now. the stories were the characters and the stories weren't as crisp and, no. and there was a lot of military crap and and it just yeah. uh Romero is a uh a, a, a real director like a, a physical director mm-hmm. like once he started doing like the computer generated stuff yeah. it just didn't work he he was a practical effects yeah. director and and he thrived Th- with having the actual stuff on set yeah yeah you it know and, and there's much better yeah there's some guys that just it's hard doing green screen directing and green screen acting and yeah and you know acting to tennis balls and stuff because there's no real representation of what's happening on screen is it's a it's a difficult thing to do and especially the guys that can direct those things hats off man because yeah, yeah. you know th- there's a lot of trust involved because you're basically like well i want this and this and this to happen and then six months later right the animators yeah, and then you yeah. know you get to see it and you're like well i don't like that and go back to and it's another six months and yep 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 it's know? almost like the film industry has gone full circle back to right. <laughs> doing film where it's you just you're like i don't know man and also you know romero is an independent filmmaker yeah. at heart and you yes. know he was a guy rough and tumble collaborator everybody's sleeping in the in, you know it's more yeah. that type of filmmaking as hard as it is and there's not a you know, him making a lot of money and, and, and being successful off of this is extremely rare. Right. A lot right. of you, there's for every Night of Living Dead, there's hundreds of movies that nobody's ever seen. And oh, you yeah. still go through all of the hard work and blood and sweat and tears to make that thing happen just because you love it. Because yeah. you're not, you know, yeah. nobody's getting rich off of this stuff, or very few people are. Very few, yeah. So, you know, that's, I think some guys, when they get out of that independent, set mindset or that independent uh mold yeah they're not as good you know you give like i said i think lack of funds spawns creativity and creative people and i think having all the tools in the toolbox and everything you want 
kind of sours the creativity a little bit on those kind of guys, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I think it would be really difficult. I think it would be overwhelming to just have all that stuff and just be like, oh, yeah, I guess, okay, there's this train thing and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it, I don't yeah. know. I, I think he, his time was his time and he held on just a little bit too long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, as evidenced from the fact of his other movies he did in the 70s, like Martin is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, yeah. And that one they just released. Um, uh, at the, with, uh, the carnival. At, at the, yeah. At oh, the amusement park. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just watched that. And that's, oh, did you? Yeah. It's oh, that's crazy. awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's such a great movie, but it's, such, he's such a really fun, independent, yeah, horror movie filmmaker. And, and the other movies that we're going to talk about this month are all 100% influenced by him yes. and by his uh, style. You yes. know, even yeah. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, another oh, indie yeah. horror movie. These to, are yeah, all Toby Hooper films. Yeah. 100%. If it wasn't for Romero, he wouldn't be making movies. Yeah, and and he would admit that himself. Yeah. But it's just yeah. uh, what we got was some really great stuff. And Romero created a genre that... Well, it's out of control. He, he wasn't even intending to create. No, he was creating <laughs> the ghoul genre, and everybody was like, yeah, we're going to call them zombies. We're going to call them zombos. So because of the copyright problem, uh, in uh, the same year that Day of the Dead premiered, which I believe was 83, uh, they released uh, the, sorry, Night of the Living Dead co-writer John Russo released a film titled The Return of the Living Dead that offers oh, an good. alternate continuity to the original film than Dawn of the Dead. Now, is that so. the one where they go into the, cere- the cemetery with the punk rock chick and uh, oh, they have that really great character actor that plays one of the... Um, Clue Gulliger. Yeah. Oh, yes. Is yes. this the one with Clue yes, Gulliger? I believe it is, yes. And the kid... Oh, man, yes. I love that movie. I love that movie. That yeah. is such a great zombie movie. I never realized that it was John Russo that Neither did his I. I, And eventually we'll do a Return of the Living Dead We'll get Jana back on because oh, it's her yeah. favorite movie. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's just so gross. And so <laughs> funny, so too. I mean, Clue Gulliger yeah. and and uh, and those poor two guys that get, you know, turned into zombies. Yeah. It's just yeah. so well done. It's good. Uh, his his film actually spawned four sequels. Uh, I know Return of the Living Dead Part 2 was even bigger than the first one. It was very good. Uh, but the Return of the Living Dead sparked a legal battle with Romero, which is disappointing. I mean, it's sad. He believed Russo marketed the film in a direct competition with Day of the Dead's sequel to the original film. He acu- accused Russo of appropriating part of the title of the prior work. Plagiar- did. Yeah. Plagiarizing Dawn of the Dead's advertising slogan, When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And copying stills from the original 1968 film. Yeah, he was doing a cash grab. Yeah. I mean, technically, he just couldn't. With the marketing stuff, they, they I think that they could have, make a case, but I mean they kind of shot themselves in the foot by yeah. I mean it was a, look he took whatever he wanted because there ain't no copyright, baby. You can do whatever you want. Romero was ultimately, granted. but he's his ex partner, and that's kind of crappy. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's sad. not like some yeah. You and I did it. It was yeah. the guy that helped make the first one. It yeah, was, that's you know, what's it's a really disappointing. Yeah, Romero was ultimately granted a restraining order that forced Rousseau to cease his advertising campaign. However, he was allowed to retain the title and has made a bunch of money off the movies. Oh yeah. Uh, they did do an official remake in 1990 that Romero was involved in, but it was directed by Tom Savini. Right. Uh, the uh, special effects guru, Tom oh, Savini. Oh, yeah. Tom Savini, any practical 
gross effect yeah. in the 80s and early 90s was probably created by Tom Savini yes. in his Creature Workshop. Yes, he was incredible. Uh, Acting-wise, if you don't know who he is, he was in uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. Yes, he was the guy that had the... The, the gun crotch. The, the gun belt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tom Simi's great. He he helped Shepard. Uh, he's one of the producers on Walking Dead as well. Mm-hmm. All of the Walking Dead stuff is done by Tom Savini. Yeah, Savini is the grandfather of zombie makeup. I mean, yeah. he created most of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. He he really started all of it. So they were able the to have... king. Yeah. <laughs> Latex King, that is true. Uh, so because of that, they they kind of try to that's that that's Romero kind of going, eh, you know, this is the official movie now because we made it and it's copywritten, sure, and, and he made it better, bigger budget, and whether or not it's a better movie, I don't know. I, I mean, it's not, I don't say a better movie, no, but, but it's the thing's going to top the original because it was so unexpected. Yeah, yeah, it's quaint now, but still, it's you're not gonna you're not gonna make a better movie than that. No. No, uh, along with all the various releases and stuff, I, I the only one I own is the one that has a commentary by Romero on it because he only did it for one DVD release, um, and and has a bunch of other stuff. But it was it, it came down to well, we can't make money off the movie. We're going to make money off of the ancillary things. Yeah, and um, the Millennium release. It was like the the fifty year anniversary release of it is fantastic. Nice. Um, it's really good. I it saw it on Pluto good. TV. I watched yeah. uh, I caught a couple, a couple nights ago. I was dabbling on Pluto. If you don't have Pluto, <laughs> it's a really fun kind of way to pretend like you have cable again. <laughs> it, it, it's, the cord. it's like being back in the Gen X days. Yeah, it's like flipping it, the yeah, channels. Yeah, because like, it's all like <laughs> Three's Company and Fantasy Island and Love Boat. But uh, they were playing uh, Night of the Living Dead, and I caught the last third of it. And, uh, yeah, it's funny because they do – they must have shot the ending before they shot the beginning because there's yeah. not a lot of zombie makeup. No, in the no. They probably climax. brought in a whole bunch of people at the beginning so they could make sure they had that and sure. they shot all the shorter stuff. Get the tough stuff, stuff first. Uh, I've I've watched it the, the right before the the play. Uh, I watched it like four or five times just to get into uh, character. Which I just played a zombie, so right. it wasn't like or a ghoul. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it was great. That was actually written. The adaptation for the stage was written by Gus, our guest on yeah. Back to the Future. It had a great set. The yeah. set, I was very impressed by the set of that show. It was uh, it was fun. It was really fun to work on. Uh, Drina, his wife, directed it. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, had a good time. I don't do a lot of theater anymore, but it was it was really fun, and it was a great adaptation of of the the script. Yeah, uh, script which literally Gus and. He, said this himself he just watched the movie and wrote things down there you go there technically is no script yeah and most of it takes i mean it's easy to do as a stage show because most of it takes place in one location yeah and you can you know futz the other locations and you can show the tv and the you know the yeah, they did. They did some uh, Willy uh, Billy or whatever. What Chili, was Billy. Chili Billy. They did. They did some some uh, pre-shot stuff that they would do to kind of do the exposition. Yeah. Um, since obviously the people in the house have no idea what's going on. Yep. Um, but it was a really fun show. It was really fun to do, and it made me fall in love with the movie all over again. Well, it's an amazing movie, and it's just unbelievable to me. I I, I love seeing genre starting films, mm-hmm. and the way there's been a few different 
You know, we got your fast zombies, and you yeah. got your World War Z zombies that are like ants or whatever. And you, you know, and <laughs> you got. Uh, but, but zombies really haven't changed that much, man. The classic no. No. shuffling, bluffling. Because look, it'd be a shuffly bluffly because it's dead and rigor mortisized yeah. yeah. or filled with embalming fluid or whatever. Right. You know, decomposing as it walks. Things that shock and and take you out of your comfort zone and into a place. Where you where you think like watching it as a child, it was just very okay. Zombies eat dead yeah. guys shot, confused, scared, yeah, we, grossed yeah, out, yeah. but intrigued. But you watch it when you're older, and you get the subtext, and you get the social commentary, yeah, and yeah. It, it becomes a completely different film. And as you watch it, as you get older, and you change. The film doesn't change, but the way that you see it and the way you interpret it changes. Right. And those are the kind of films that I absolutely adore. And, and and you can just keep watching them forever because they're always going to spark something different in you. Right, right, right. A hundred percent. It's it's phenomenal. I the movie's the movie can be a little slow. Uh it's yeah, of course. In comparison to, to if you think about the fast zombies and all that stuff. Look, it's gotta honestly, it's a movie that if you didn't see it when you should have seen it, you're probably not gonna love it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's one of those movies where your friend's going to be like, oh, you got to see this movie. <laughs> and then they show it, and then they don't get the reaction that they want because the person's like, it was all right. You know, it was yeah. fine. It was a little silly. I, it's like, uh, well, no, you when I was seven <laughs> years old. <laughs> you know? I, I was that way, much to the chagrin of most people I knew. I was that way with Highlander. Oh, I did yeah. not see Highlander when it came out. And I watched it for the first time a few years ago, and I hate that oh, movie. No. Oh, my God, I hate that movie. Oh, no. It is not as good as people think it is. Oh, it is. It is. I will, <laughs> I will go to my grave. All right. Well, that'll be, a, that'll be a fun episode. <laughs> I'm from Spain. Oh, God, it's so bad. But when you rewatch Night of the Living Dead, don't think of it as a zombie movie. No. Think of it as a survival movie. Think of it as social commentary. Think of it as a ghoul yeah. movie. And it's enjoyable. It's fun. You know, do what they did when you make it. Just spark a joint. <laughs> Sit Look, down and watch the We're coming movie. up. We're going to, uh, at the end of this month, we're going to have a list of horror movies that we're going to do on the Stepdad mm-hmm. Show that, that they're essential Gen X horror movies that you need to watch. Yes. And this is definitely on that list and in the top 10. It is the granddaddy of the Gen X horror movies. Granddaddy of the zombies, baby. Of the zombos. Zombos. Yeah. (laughs) Whole new genre. The zombos. Zombos. They'll be like uh, zombie clowns. Zombos. Well, I know like four people that would hate it immediately. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a zombo. Uh, We're pretty much out of time, so uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming, Barbara. (laughs) And we'll see you next week as our Spooktober continues with a little something called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So excited about this. That's a chainsaw. Oh, no, I got that. And I'm holding it over my head. Shaking my big belly. Dance for me. Dance. See you next week. I am, a, I am uh, a Highland. I am the last Highland. Oh, I'm, I'm, it's Santa <laughs> we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Family Ties, already in progress.